0: Last Sunday, I shared this well-known saying with you. It says, where God guides, he provides, and where he leads, he meets needs. All God's people said again, yeah. Now, notice how balanced this is. There is a promise. God has all the resources so that he can provide, And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills so he can meet our needs. But there's a condition, isn't there? The condition is he must be guiding us and he must be leading us. And so God's provision cannot be presumed upon. We must be following his leading. I think one of the best biblical examples of this principle is Psalm 23.1, where the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And isn't there the same balance here? Uh, shepherds lead. And so we have to follow the Lord's leading. But when we do that, we will not want. He will provide for our needs. And He will meet the needs that we have in our lives. Now, this wonderful principle is taught for us uh, both sides of it. The promise as well as the conditions in Ruth chapter 3. And so this morning, I want us to take our Bibles and turn back with there. And I want us to look again at how God provides for our needs. Would you... Look with me at the opening verse of Ruth chapter 3, as we have been studying together this amazing and wonderful story. And notice again how chapter 3 opens. One day, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find rest for you where you will be provided for? So there's the theme of the chapter. The theme of this chapter is how God provides the needs of His people. Now, you remember in the book of Ruth, we are working through three needs that she and Naomi, her mother-in-law, had. They had the need for food because they were poor and had no effective means as widows to find a job. And that need is resolved in chapter 2. Then they had the need for safety they were living during the time of the judges which were very violent times and they were two widows without the protection of a father or a husband and so that need for safety is also resolved in chapter two and then the greatest need the need that was the long-term need was the need of a husband for Ruth to provide a future family to inherit the land that they own and therefore keep the family from perpetual poverty. That need begins to be resolved here in Ruth chapter 3. Now as we look at this chapter, there is a very, very critical lesson that we learn. The whole theme of this chapter is God provides when we meet His conditions. And as we look at the story, what we discover is there are four conditions. Now, remember the condition we looked at last week. God expects us to plan in His will. Now, let's continue on in the story, shall we? Let's notice, secondly, that once we have planned in His will, God expects us to take bold steps of faith. Are you that kind of Christian? Am I? Is our church that kind of church? When God has revealed His will, we then are willing to take bold steps of faith. Look at verses 6 through 9 in Ruth chapter 3, and notice what happened. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, which they did during the harvesting season to protect their grain. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Obviously, he was chilled because his overcoat, his covering, had been removed. So he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, the threshing floor that Ruth went to looked something like this. And the fact that she followed precisely the actions that her mother-in-law told her to take shows her obedience to God's plan. But they also demonstrate tremendous boldness on the part of Ruth. Do you know this is the only instance of a marriage proposal like this in the whole Old Testament. In fact, in the entire ancient Near East there is no example of somebody making a marriage proposal under these conditions. This was actually a very huge risk. Uh, One Bible teacher puts it this way, from a natural perspective, the scheme was doomed from the beginning as a hopeless gamble, and the responsibility Naomi placed on Ruth was quite unreasonable. Now, there was nothing wrong with her actions. To wash perfume, put on her best clothes, signaled that her mourning was over. See, up until now, Ruth was a widow in mourning, and uh, when she uh, changed her clothes, she would have up until this time very much looked like a woman who was dressed in mourning by her appearance. And Boaz would have respected that very much, so he would have not ever had any idea that marriage was possible until her mourning period was over. So now by changing her appearance, she is signaling that she is done with her mourning and ready for remarriage. Now, this threshing floor was a public place. In fact, during the harvest season, whole families would sleep near the grain piles to protect them at night. And when the Bible says that she requested of Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me, that was a very well-known idiom asking for marriage. Obviously, the garment here was the outer cloak that he used to keep warm at night. So this is not some sort of a secret rendezvous out in the field with nobody around. It is clear from verse 14 that they were observed. But where was the risk? Where was the gamble? The risk Ruth took was being mistaken for a prostitute and thereby offending Boaz. See this was during the period of the judges. Remember what the Bible says about the judges? Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And prostitutes would dress up, they would go down to the threshing floor at night, and they would offer their services to men who were sleeping alone. Now. Can you imagine Boaz? Can you? Waking up out of a sound sleep in the middle of the night, bleary-eyed, surprised to find a woman lying nearby. How easily he could have mistaken Ruth's intentions. But do you know what? Even if he recognized her, And knew her intentions were honorable. Isn't the protocol all wrong? Isn't it? I mean, he's the boss. She's a servant. He's the native. She's a foreigner. She is a woman who is operating in a world that is very much a man's world, and he is rich, and she is poor." And then did you notice in verse 9, she lectures uh, Boaz as to what he ought to do? Naomi said, when you remove that outer garment, just lie there and wait for him to tell you what to do. kinsman redeemer, she puts it right to him. Marry me. You're a relative and someone who can be a kinsman redeemer. Uh, I would call this rather forward, would you not? And this had never ever happened before now one of the things we have to understand is Boaz was not obligated to marry her he was obligated to perform the role of kinsman redeemer but the Leverite role of marrying a widow to raise up a son For his deceased brother was not his obligation because he was a relative probably a a cousin so he was not required here to marry her this is a huge risk we got to ask why why did Naomi and Ruth do this well I think there's one answer they were convinced it was the will of God You remember last week as we were looking at the first few verses in this chapter, we saw that God gives to us a very clear process for which we can discern His will. The first question is, what does Scripture say? Then the second question is, what do God's authorities that He has placed in our life, what do they say? The third question is, what do godly believers whom God has brought around us, what do they say? And then when all three of these line up, circumstances will usually fall in place and we can then be confident in the will of God. Now, when all of that falls in place, you know what God expects? God expects us to take bold actions even though there may be risks. In fact, you know what risks are? All throughout the Bible, risks are a test. That when the will of God is clear, he allows certain risks in our life. So we don't know all the details how it's going to work out, but his will is clear and the risks are a test as to whether we will follow him obediently in faith or not. It was just about 11 years ago now that we moved up here to Marquette to become the pastor of Bethel. i got one supporter out there. (laughs) I'll pay you after the service. You may remember that our custodian then was Tom Boudry. Tom Boudry cleaned our church at the midnight shift, and so it was a while before I met him. Finally, one night I met him, and when he learned that we had come 450 miles to come to Marquette and begin a ministry here, this is what he said. He said, that's a long way. What if it doesn't work out? I had never, ever had anyone put it like that to me. I wondered, does he know something that I don't know? But he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. It was a long way to come, and it may not have worked out, But as we looked at it, all four of these factors came together. And when they came together, we knew we had to come, even with the risk that it may not work out. Confident faith was required. Let me share with you uh, a comment from Pastor David Jackman at this point in the story of Ruth. Listen to what he says. Some Christians seem to be sitting down and waiting throughout their entire lives because they are always requiring God to show them more before they launch out and trust Him. It is possible to be so afraid of making mistakes that we do nothing. How true that is. And then he continues. But provided our lives are in a right relationship with God, and we honestly want to go His way and not our own, He gives us permission to launch out in faith, to risk for His sake, even to get it wrong and to fail, because He who never made a mistake never made anything. And all God's people said, absolutely. One of my favorite magazines is Disciple Magazine. Listen how this magazine speaks to this same point. Many good works go wanting for fear of the risk involved. No doubt the fear of risk has killed many good programs in the church. Christ asked his followers to deny themselves daily and to take up their crosses and walk. There will always be some perils, but think of the risk if we don't. Ruth knew the risk if she did. She knew the risk was greater if she didn't. The more I learn about this woman, the more extraordinary she is. The more extraordinary she is. What is God calling you to do that requires bold faith? What is God calling our church to do that requires bold faith? He provides for people who will step out that way. Notice thirdly. Third condition we have to meet for God's provision is God expects us to prioritize His character. Look how the story continues in verse 10. "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied. "'This kindness is greater,' than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all for you that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. "'Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it, lie here until morning.'" So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. Now, despite the risks... That Ruth knew could occur. She believed the character that Boaz had shown would incline him to respond favorably to her marriage proposal. And haven't we seen ample evidence of that in the story? Boaz was a man of God. He was a man of character, and he was a man who obeyed the Scriptures. Now, it's very clear from Leviticus chapter 25 that the very nearest relative was the one who had the first chance to be the kinsman redeemer. It becomes very, very clear here that Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but he would not violate the Scriptures to do so. Look again at verses 12 and 13. Although it is true that I am a near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. This man knew submission to God means submission to God's Word. All godly people know that. Submission to God means submission to God's Word. And Ruth was like that. She was a woman of God, a woman of character a woman who would not violate the Scriptures. Since Boaz was this way, he wanted a wife who would also be this way. And notice how he puts it in verse 11. He says to her, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. When we first began this story, the prospect for marriage on the part of Ruth were very grim. But as her reputation grew, as more and more men became impressed with her, she had many, many potential suitors. And so we have to ask ourselves, why in the world then does she choose Boaz? Can I give you one single word? The one word is character. Character. The only way that she could provide for Naomi was to marry a relative who would be a kinsman redeemer. Only a kinsman redeemer could redeem the property so that it would stay in Naomi's family. Only a kinsman redeemer could raise up a grandson Who would be the key to Naomi's future, providing her future security? Any man outside of the family would leave Naomi desperate and helpless. What Boaz is saying about Ruth, this is an act of unselfish kindness because she is taking her mother-in-law's future into consideration and not just what is best for her in fact that's what Boaz means when he says in verse 10 this is a greater act of kindness look back at that verse the Lord bless you my daughter he replied this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier First act of kindness, leaving Moab to support Naomi no matter what would come. Now second act of kindness, marrying Boaz to provide for Naomi's future. There's a very critical word here in verse 10 that is very, very key to this story. It is the word hesed. When Boaz says in verse 10, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, the Hebrew word that he uses is the word hesed. It is one of the keys to the whole story of Ruth. In fact, it is one of the most important words in the whole Old Testament. Probably more ink has been spilled writing about this word than any other word in the Old Testament. And it's a word that's very hard to translate. Uh, My Bible calls it kindness. Some versions call it loyal love. Some versions call it loving kindness. There are some versions that call it covenant faithfulness. It's a reference to the kind of love and faithfulness that God shows to His people when He enters into a covenant relationship with them, very much like we have with Jesus. Notice here the definition of this word that Boaz is talking about. It is loyalty within a relationship. In relationship to love, it denotes God's faithfulness to His people. And once we come to know God in the same way, people can display, the same Hesed both to other people and to God. Now here's what I want you to watch. There are three acts of Hesed in this book. First, Ruth to Naomi. Second, Boaz to Ruth. Finally, Ruth to Boaz and Naomi. Let's look at them for just a moment. Turn back to chapter 1. And notice with me the first act of Hesed. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show Hesed kindness, loyal love to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. Now move over to chapter 2. Notice verse 20. Notice now it's Boaz to Ruth. The Lord blessed him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his hesed, his kindness to the living and the dead. And now let's move to the third act of hesed, of kindness, of loyal love. Chapter 3 and verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness, this hesed, is greater than that which you showed earlier. Now, God loves to provide for people like this because such people are glorifying His own character. And God loves to work that these people would be provided for. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is uh, Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. And I love this verse. It uses a synonym of the word hesed. Notice what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The word loyal there is a synonym of the word hesed. It refers to somebody who is in a relationship with God through a covenant of peace and therefore are God's friends and therefore out of that friendship want to be loyal to God as He is loyal to them. Now notice this phrase... God shows himself strong on behalf of those people. It is one Hebrew word in the original language. It means to use one's strength. It even has the idea to exert oneself on behalf of somebody else. So what this verse is saying is God wants to exert himself on behalf of those who are loyal, not perfect, but loyal him. Let me say that again. God wants to exert himself on behalf of those who are loyal, not perfect, but loyal to him. all God's people said about this kind of God? If my mother had lived yesterday, she would have been 98 years of age. Well, she and my dad were born in the presidency of Woodrow Wilson. I do not know much of what Woodrow Wilson said but one of his great statements is this, if you will think about what you ought to do for other people, your character will take care of itself. Character is a byproduct, and any man who devotes himself to its cultivation in his own case will become a selfish prey. That is exactly what is going on here. Ruth and Boaz are thinking about what they ought to do for others. They are showing Hesed, which is God's very own character. And now we know God will provide. We know God will provide. In fact, notice here the very last condition is this very thing. God expects us to wait in peace for His provision. Look at verses 16 through 18 and how the story ends. When Ruth came to her mother in law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Uh, You know what that means literally? Literally, who are you, my daughter? Who are you? Did he say yes? Are you now going to be his wife? Who are you? And notice how she responds. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. When she saw the six scoops of barley in Ruth's shawl, Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. What a wonderful way to conclude this chapter. The word wait means be patient. It literally means sit tight. Ruth has done what she ought to do. Now Boaz, the man of God, is going to do what he should do. And the reason he's going to do that is because God is directing him to accomplish God's provision. By the way, doesn't God always work this way? God always works this way. We do what we should do, and now God says he will do what only he can do. You see, if we meet the conditions... He will provide. It's interesting in my Bible at the end of this chapter, I have a cross-reference. And the cross-reference is very interesting because it is a statement of the truth in this story. So we come to this story, and in story form, we learn these lessons. We learn that God will provide if we plan in His will. God will provide if we take bold steps of faith. God will provide if we prioritize His character. And then God will provide if we wait peacefully for His provision. Now at the end of this story, there is a cross-reference to a place where God says in explicit language, this is the kind of God I am. You've now seen it in story. Let me show it to you in propositional form. Turn to Psalm 37. And I want you to follow along. As I read starting at verse 5. all the way down to verse 11. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil for evil men will be cut off but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land a little while and the wicked will be no more though you look for them they will not be found but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace and all God's people said be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him and he will provide our hearts together before Him. I do not know today what your particular situation is. Maybe God's will has been made clear to you, but you are unwilling to step out in bold faith. Perhaps there is an area of disobedience in your life. You know what the scripture says, but you have set it aside and you are not willing to live out the character of God in the way he has revealed it. Maybe you wonder why things are not working out the way you had hoped. And it's because of some area of disobedience to God's clear will. Maybe it's an anxiousness, a worry is robbing you of the peace God wants you to have but whatever it is it needs to be brought to the Lord this morning and laid at his feet God is calling you to be a Boaz he's calling you to be a Ruth he's calling me And today, in the quietness of our hearts, as we have seen the truth of His Word, however He speaks, let's respond to Him. Gracious Lord, it is absolutely true that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, to exert himself on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. We ask, Father, that whatever is standing in the way of that, if it's timidness and fear so that we will not trust Him boldly as He is called, if it is disobedience or sin, if it is a lack of having the peace that He said is our birthright, because we cannot trust His sovereign purposes. Whatever it is, Lord, we bring it to You because it's holding us back. It's keeping us from all that You intended to bless us with. We bring it to You as a church. We bring it to You as individual Christians. we might enter into the fullness of the blessing of God. And so draw us to you today, Lord. Make us men and women of great faith and great character. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said together, Amen. I love this final song that we're going to sing to conclude with. It reminds us of God's great care. And this morning we're going to sing it through a couple of times. And as we close our service, the second time, our. Pastors and their wives and elders and their wives will head out to greet you. Thank you for being here today and sing this song with renewed meaning as you sing the great truth of it in Ruth chapter 3.